Before we jump into the podcast today, just wanted to remind you to rate and review our podcast if you haven't yet. It really helps people find our podcast and um, we love to read them, honestly. We love to read the reviews. So also another thing you can do is share with a friend. I know when Cecily sends me a podcast, I always listen. And so if you have a particular episode that you found to be impactful or you learned something from, just send it to a friend. The other thing I wanted to mention is after we recorded today, I was thinking about an episode we previously recorded where we talked about some things like ESG scores and how um, our speech and the way we're living is going to be impacted by these corporations, which also involves these elitists. So um, if you want to go back and listen, it is the episode from April 9th this year. It's called Bonus Episode, Is Free Speech Totally Dead? So go back and give that one a listen if you want to. It applies to this episode today. Welcome to the Boom Clap Podcast. Today, our topic is elites and innocence. The eight wealthiest people in the world have as much wealth as the poorest 50%. So I feel like a lot of people have an idea about this inconsistency in wealth, but don't necessarily realize that there's so much more to this than what first meets the eye. And it really feels like wealth and a desire for power seem to go hand in hand, and wealth is used as a tool to grab more power, and then that extreme wealth is also used as a tool to build more wealth. And there are absolutely systems in place that these super wealthy people can take advantage of to continue building more wealth and more power. So today we're going to take a look at some of those elites and the systems they've leveraged for their own benefit while often disguising it as philanthropy. Not to say that they don't ever practice or contribute to true philanthropy, but I feel like that term philanthropy is often used as a smokescreen. Yeah, absolutely. I do totally agree. It, mm-hmm. it is usually used as uh, something to put out to the people to make us feel good about things they're doing to increase their wealth. Um, mm-hmm. I would say I group into the elitist category. When we talked about this, I, I just had brought up that I feel like there's this innocent group of people that plays into what this uh, globalist elitist group wants to do because we're Mm. manipulated by the language they use. And I would group into that, that, uh, that framework of people, governments, like the government leaders Mm -hmm. that are, uh, I guess, career politician types, Mm -hmm. as well as those mega wealthy. And I guess I just, would basically describe this before we get into all the details that we want to talk about. I would just describe this as there's a group of people in the world that want to control how we act, how we live to their benefit. Mm -hmm. And in order to do that, a lot of times they use language that sounds virtuous, um, They use agendas that the average person wants to buy into because it sounds good and manipulate us into falling into their, I guess, their agenda, for lack of a better word, into what they want to uh, accomplish in the world by using this language that 
sounds great on the on the surface. So mm-hmm. for example, I'm just going to give a couple examples really quick. So one thing that just comes to mind constantly when I think about this is a Second Amendment. That's something that anytime there is a shooting, it comes under attack. You know, we need to have more gun control. We need um, less guns on the street. We need to take these certain types of guns away from average citizens. And first of all, we need to assess why the Second Amendment is there in the first place. And then we need to assess what is happening behind the scenes as well as on the surface. And so surface level, the innocent people, this is where like the, I just want to use this example to separate elites versus innocents. The innocents in this group are the average citizens that see this happen, are heartbroken and want to end it. And so the answer that's been given to them is gun control and less guns and, you know, more a tighter grip with laws and regulations and different guns being taken off the streets. And if we just sit back and think about this logically, killing has been killing has happened since the beginning of time with Mm -hmm. or without a firearm. And so is the answer tighter laws, like laws on the books, or is the answer moral law and fixing our hearts? And I think that's Mm -hmm. where it always goes back to. But um, instead, we're given all these human solutions to the problem on the surface. And all these innocent people think, you know, the innocent people of the world, being the general population that does buy into this, there are people that don't buy into this, but the people that do buy into this are doing so out of a wish to make something happen that is good. Totally. Because that's what they've been told by this elitist group. That's what they're being fed. But this elitist Mm -hmm. group who is feeding this line understands the underlying principles behind the Second Amendment. And the underlying goal is disarming the people because of what the Second Amendment actually is about. And so while the innocent people of the world think, oh, you know, this sounds good. We can fix problems. We can help people, you know, not have these fights and not have this violence and not have this death on our hands. The elitist group is using that mindset and manipulative manipulative language to get us on board with their plan. Another um, example I would say is the biodigital episode we did a few episodes back talking about uh, Elon Musk Neuralink using the language of we're going to we're going to cure or find solutions to dementia and uh, what was the other one? Parkinson's disease. Mm-hmm. And we're not going to have these problems anymore because I'm going to have this implant for your brain and we're going to cure disease. But then in the next sentence, he says, but really, the goal is superhuman cognition. And Mm -hmm. so he uses this language to help the innocent people of the world who want better buy into this new, possibly dangerous thing Mm -hmm. that ultimately has a completely different goal underlying. And so we're going to get into details today, but those are just a couple examples that I can think of that are very simple, but <laughs> illustrations of the difference between elites and innocents when I'm thinking about it, at least. Yeah, that was really well said, Rita. And I just feel like that's the one thing that I really want us to focus on is the fact that these elites are coming up with this message that sounds really good. 
so that the innocence will buy in so that it's not like it doesn't seem like a power takeover. It seems like this was a good idea. And we all thought so, too, because we all have good hearts and we're hoping for the best. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay, we want to talk about some of the elites and the systems. So one thing that you and I had talked about, Rita, was just the amount of money that some of these really wealthy people have and the wealth that some of these really wealthy countries have. And the fact that these philanthropists are often talking about how we can use philanthropy and different systems to eliminate poverty. But poverty, Mm -hmm. we understand, everyone understands, is more than low income. It's hunger, it's high mortality, it's conflict, it's lack of education and health services. And we had just talked about, you know, like with all this money that they have, like couldn't they literally just end poverty? (laughs) And so I looked into that a little bit. The cost to end poverty this is from borgenproject.org. The cost to end poverty would be about $175 billion per year for 20 years. So that yearly amount is less than 1% of the combined income of the richest countries in the world. And it's about four times the US military budget for one year. Okay. Now, I don't want to like try to simplify things and imply that ending poverty would be easy if these elites would just use their money appropriately because ending poverty is not as easy as just throwing money at the problem, right? Right. We don't believe in that. We know that there are social, cultural, religious worldviews and factors that of course are going to complicate it. But there's a lot of money tied up within these philanthropist hands in things called donor advisor, donor advised funds and private foundations. And those dollars aren't actually being put to work. So I just thought it was interesting that there's all this talk of the good that we can do in the world, but it seems like it's not actually being done. Yeah. When I was looking, I had gotten wrapped up into looking at the uh, Open Society Foundation website. And Mm -hmm. I was telling Cecily, that's ran by George Soros. And Mm -hmm. he's definitely one of the people in the elitist category. And I was just looking through and it's really hard to find because they have on their website like how we work and how much we've donated and it has a list of like 10 different agendas they have and how much they've donated to each agenda mm-hmm. but it doesn't have where and how how much goes to each country but it doesn't even have delineated then further where that money goes within the country yeah. or where that money goes within the agenda like who's mm-hmm. the organization it's going to yeah. and but within each of these Uh, subcategories of agendas. It's all human rights this, human rights that. And Mm -hmm. I was just telling Cecily yesterday, you know, human rights is a very interesting term because I feel, I personally believe we are all born with the rights, like all the Mm -hmm. rights, like as a human when we're born. And then it's other Mm -hmm. humans taking those rights away from us. And then mm-hmm. somehow it's just like everything. We have talked about this before. It's cyclical like, mm-hmm. oh, we're going to give those rights back to you. We're the humans that can fix this problem. And really they could do a lot to fix it, but it's all tied up in these foundations and organizations and philanthropy mm-hmm. that is taking money out of their pocket but then putting more back. Yeah. When you had brought Yeah. When you had brought up that cyclical – thing about how we're born with human rights. 
I thought it was such a good point because humans are at the top of the food chain. No one can take our rights from us except mm-hmm. other humans. So I thought that was really interesting. Um, I don't know. Should we get into these funds a little bit? Like we keep referencing them and maybe yeah, people are absolutely. like, what are they talking about? Okay. So let's start with the donor advised funds because I think that's a really big one, probably the biggest one that people are using. So um, philanthropists like to use these donor advised funds and what they are, I got a definition for it from dafdirect.org. So it's basically a website all about donor advised funds. So what is a DAF? A DAF is a centralized vehicle for charitable giving that makes it easy for donors to dedicate funds to support their favorite nonprofit organization. It also provides an operationally convenient and tax-efficient method for donors to manage their charitable giving. So like I said, that's a definition that's from dafdirect.org. So it's a very positive-sounding definition. What's not mentioned in that definition, though, is that these philanthropists can create these DAFs, like the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, for example, and they can give money to that, say like within a tax year, they'll give a million dollars or $2 million or probably more because of the vast wealth of these people. And it'll sit in that donor advised fund. And to the public, it will look as if that is a charitable donation. And the philanthropist gets a tax break for that year, a huge tax break. However, the money can sit in there for as long as the foundation decides they want to leave it there. So it could stay there until the owner of that DAF is dead. There's absolutely no deadline on when that money actually has to be given to an actual charity that's doing on the ground work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is really disturbing. <laughs> it's really sketchy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's just a way to s- escape taxes essentially and mm-hmm. keep your money in a place that you can control it. Yeah. So a lot of people will talk about these philanthropists, like they're such great people and maybe some of them are, but we need to keep it in perspective that when we hear about the amount or percentage that a philanthropist has (laughs) donated, we need to realize that that money hasn't necessarily even gone to charity, but it's been put Mm -hmm. into like quote safekeeping in a DAF so that the philanthropist can enjoy a very lucrative tax break. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't want to move you away from this topic. So if I get too far off, please come back. But just another way they do it, like for example, with the CDC this year, just just this vaccine, for example, but Mm -hmm. in general with the CDC and how it's ran. So these foundations, like if you look at the – so a lot of people don't realize the CDC – while it is a government organization and does receive tax dollars, it also receives money from the CDC Foundation. The CDC mm-hmm. Foundation is funded by any large corporation you can think of, any large, quote, philanthropist you can think of. So Bill Melinda Gates, mm-hmm. um, all of the large food companies. And so these people are putting money into this foundation in getting money in return because they're partnering on projects together and these projects then are pushed out by the CDC. You know, you have to take this medication or this medication is good for this and this vaccine is good for that. And then 
it goes back into these people's pockets because they're invested in the companies that are producing these products. Mm-hmm. And it's the same thing with food manufacturers and things like these large corporations, like we talked about, you know, BlackRock and Vanguard and all of that last mm-hmm. week. Like these people or these, I don't, I guess, fund managers are invested in these companies and they're in, it's kind of like, I don't know, having your hands in the pockets of, you know, the government, I guess. So anyway, you can go back to the donor advice funds, but it's just another way, you know, mm, the same thing happens. Well, and I'll go into that a little bit more, like what you were saying about like, you know, the CDC foundation is funded by Bill Gates and other philanthropists like him. But it goes even deeper because Bill Gates is also investing in, you know, GMO crops and seed patents and synthetic mm-hmm. foods mm-hmm. and Coca-Cola and Kraft and mm-hmm. General Foods, Kellogg's, Procter & Gamble, Amazon, which bought out Whole Foods, Monsanto and Bayer. So it's like this big, huge web. And it's only if you take the time to put it together that you'll notice it. So people might be like, yeah. oh, he funds the CDC, but he also... <laughs> is invested heavily in these other companies that it's just, it's, it's a every, really big deal. Every single company corporation you just mentioned funds the CDC. Yes. Yeah. Which is crazy. <laughs> I didn't even yeah. realize so, that every single one. So it's, yeah. yeah Monsanto, Bayer, like all of those. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's crazy. Okay. So. so we'll jump back to the DAF a second, the donor advised funds. Um, So some philanthropists, including the Ford Foundation, they want Congress to reform tax laws so that money will work faster and sit in these funds for a shorter time. So I really know nothing about the Ford Foundation or some of these other ones that are pushing for this tax reform, but I think it's great. So in an MSN News article from June 11, 2021, so just a few months ago, it reported that there's two senators, I didn't write their names down but I'll link the article. Two senators introduced a bill hoping to accomplish just that, that tax reform by putting a deadline of 15 years on DAFs, which to me is still crazy because it's like, (laughs) yeah, 15 years is a really long time. Like anything can happen in 15 years, but at least it is a deadline. So there's a slight improvement. Um, So you'd have to actually disperse the money from the donor advised fund within that 15 year time period if this bill passes. So under current laws, charitable foundations like the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation are only required to actually give 5% of their assets for charitable activities, which I think is less than the average regular person would give of their assets for charitable activities in a year. Mm -hmm. And that 5% can actually include salaries for family members. So this bill seeks to change that. And I just thought that was kind of an interesting find today as I was digging a little bit more into these DAFs. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's really interesting. I don't know. I was reading that article from, I think it's called inequality.org, which I Mm. read through and there's so much that they said that I disagree with. Totally. There's a lot that I agree with as well. Mm -hmm. But it's just interesting um, to think about – So. Real quick, when we talk about the rich, like we're talking about the billionaires, like the Mm -hmm. few people at the top. But it's interesting how these billionaires want to escape taxes and have all these breaks. And uh, listening to uh, 
one of the speakers at Davos, you know, he had brought up something about taxes and then you listen to him afterwards being interviewed and he said, you know, it was like I said, you know, the worst word. I don't know how he put it, but he was like, you apparently you can't bring up taxes around these <laughs> yeah. billionaires because you don't want um, or they don't want to uh, pay taxes. They want to do yes. it all through charity because it's how they yeah. gain their wealth. And he's like, I don't mm-hmm. understand why we can't talk about this. And he's right. like, I don't know that I'll be invited back, basically. Um, but it's interesting in politics, at least in America, constantly, you know, there's a side pushing to increase taxes on the rich, increase taxes on the wealthy. Mm-hmm. And I just want to make clear that when you hear the politicians saying that, they are not talking about the mega rich. They are not talking about the billionaires. They're not talking mm-hmm. about these corporate loopholes. They're not talking about these donor advice funds. They're talking yeah. about regular people, you know, like me, <laughs> honestly. Mm-hmm. They're talking about middle class Americans that are living in a modest home and have been responsible with their money. That's yeah. who they're talking about yes. as rich. They're talking yeah, because- about people not in poverty, but making yeah. it. And it's true. That's who yeah. they're, yes. Yeah. Sorry. I just want to be clear on that because I feel like that is such a huge problem in our country, especially when mm-hmm. people are voting. They're like, oh, yeah, increase taxes on the rich. If you make $100,000 a year, and does anybody really sit down and think what that looks like? You yeah. know, like what, how much money is that actually? It's not that much, you know? Mm-hmm. So, anyway. Well, and I think like to make it really clear, the reason why that isn't applying to the super, super rich and it's actually applying to just Mm -hmm. average Americans, average Canadians, whatever you are, is because these billionaires, these trillionaires, they have so many ways to get around the taxes. They have these DAFs. They have their foundations. And there's another really interesting concept of billionaires borrowing their way to greater wealth and using this as a way to avoid like capital gains taxes. Mm -hmm. So billionaires, they they have loans, but why? They don't need loans. (laughs) They do it though by borrowing off their huge assets. There's even people borrowing off like art and cars and stuff, and they use these loans to get a tax break. And Elon Musk is a good example of this. So in 2019, he took out $61 million in mortgages on five California properties. Okay, first of all, five properties, and this is the guy that's going to save us from like climate change and (laughs) you know what I mean? Like... He took out $61 million in mortgages on five California properties while also having 40% of his personal Tesla shares as collateral for other loans. So if he would have just done what I would do as a normal person, and if I needed to free up some money to invest in something or to access cash, I would sell something I have to try and access that cash. If he would have done that, though, he would have had to pay huge capital gains. So instead, he's borrowing off his massive assets to just keep going (laughs) and to avoid those capital gains. Mm -hmm. So these tax things, yeah, they don't apply to the super rich because the super rich have ways of getting around it. They also get extremely low interest rates because of all the collateral they have. So they're not getting the interest rates that you or I would. Yeah, absolutely. And that's like, that's my point, you know. Like we try to do well as our family to steward the things that we've been given. And they they just – the Biden administration just put out a thing about capital gains tax to farmers and landowners. Mm-hmm. And 
It's like, that's really the average person. Like that's the family farmer that it's going to hit. You know, somebody who just farms their own ground and it's going to make it where you cannot pass anything on to your children. Like you can't pass down the family farm because of the capital gains tax. We, the middle-class Americans, are the people being punished by these new laws that the innocents of America Mm -hmm. that think, oh, yes, tax the rich. They deserve to pay their fair share. They hear Mm -hmm. that, and it sounds great, but they don't really understand who it's applying to and that these people that you're talking about will never be touched, Mm -hmm. and it's hurting their neighbor. (laughs) Yeah. So you brought up farmland and the capital gains on you know, farm farmers, whatever, right? Mm-hmm. So that just makes yeah. me think of Bill Gates again. You want to dip into him a little bit more here. <laughs> so let's put some of this in perspective. <clears throat> the a hundred thousand businesses just in the US went bankrupt during the pandemic, but Bill Gates, his wealth actually increased by twenty billion dollars. And he is now the largest owner of farmland in the whole of the United States. So he has as, as of the time I grabbed this data, he had 242,000 acres of farmland plus an additional 27,000 acres of non-farmland. So to me, when I hear that Bill Gates has control over, you know, the he has more control over farmland than anyone else in America, it's concerning to mm-hmm. me because he is such a huge proponent of things like Monsanto, GMOs, and now he's controlling all this farmland. So yeah. I found this thing that I would like to read to you guys, um, and I'll also link it in the show notes. So it says here, beginning in 1994, Gates launched an international biopiracy campaign to achieve vertically integrated dominion over global agricultural production. His empire now includes vast agricultural lands and hefty investments in GMO crops, seed patents, synthetic foods, artificial intelligence, including robotic farm workers and commanding positions in food behemoths, I can't say that word, (laughs) including Coca-Cola, Unilever, Philip Morris, which is Kraft and General Foods, Kellogg's, Procter & Gamble, Amazon, which is Whole Foods, and in multinationals like Monsanto and Bayer that market chemical pesticides and petrochemical fertilizers. So all those things that we mentioned earlier, that's Bill Gates has his hand in all of that. As usual, Gates coordinates these personal investments with taxpayer subsidized grants from the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, the richest and most powerful organization in all of international aid, his financial partnerships with Big Egg, Big Chemical and Big Food, and his control of international agencies, including some of his own creation, with awesome power to create captive markets for his product. Former Secretary of State Henry Kissinger, a protege and partner to David Rockefeller, observed that he who controls the food supply controls the people. In 2006, the Bill and Melinda Gates and Rockefeller Foundations launched the $424 million Alliance for a Green Revolution in Africa, promising to double crop productivity and boost incomes for 30 million small farmers by 2020 while cutting food insecurity in half. So I just want to highlight a second, you guys what we talked about at the beginning as far as poverty and people are often commending Bill Gates for his work in third world countries and within Africa. So I'll continue the article. Characteristically, Gates' approach to global problems puts technology and his chemical, pharmaceutical, and oil industry partners at the center of every solution. As it turned out, Gates' innovative strategy for food production was to force America's failed system of GMO, chemical, and fossil fuel-based agriculture onto poor African farmers. 
African agricultural practices have evolved from the land over 10,000 years in forms that promote crop diversity, decentralization, sustainability, private property, self-organization, and local control of seeds. This personal freedom inherent in these localized systems leaves farm families making their own decisions, the masters on their lands, the sovereigns of their destinies. Continuous innovation by millions of small farmers maximize sustainable yields and biodiversity. But in his ruthless reinvention of colonialism, Gates spent $4.9 billion to dismantle this ancient system and replace it with high-tech, corporatized and industrialized agriculture, chemically dependent monocultures, extreme centralization, and top-down control. He forced small African farms to transition to imported commercial seeds, petroleum fertilizers, and pesticides. Gates built the supply chain infrastructure for chemicals and seeds and pressured African governments to spend huge sums on subsidies and to use draconian penalties and authorities and authoritarian control to force farmers to buy his expensive inputs and comply with his diktats. Gates made farmers replace traditional nutritious subsistence crops like sorghum, millet, sweet potato, and cassava with high-yield industrial cash crops like soy and corn, which benefit elite commodity traders but leave poor Africans with little to eat. Both nutrition and productivity plummeted. Soils grew more acidic with every application of petrochemical fertilizers. As with Gates, Gates's African vaccine enterprise, there was neither internal evaluation nor public accountability. The 2020 study, False Promises, the Alliance for a Green Revolution in Africa, is the report card on the Gates cartel 14-year effort. The investigation concludes that the number of Africans suffering extreme hunger has increased by 30% in the 18 countries that Gates targeted. Rural poverty has metastasized dramatically, and the number of hungry people in in these nations has risen to 131 million. Under Gates' plantation system, Africa's rural populations have become slaves on their own land to a tyrannical serfdom of high-tech inputs, mechanization, rigid schedules, burdensome conditionalities, credits, and subsidies that are defining features of Bill Gates's green revolution. So I just find that really alarming. So basically he's doing what looks like philanthropy while pushing his own companies and his own investments on these countries. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So first I want to point out, like I, when I read things like this, I always Mm -hmm. try to read them and understand like I I'm not physically there, so I'm reading what somebody else is saying, and I don't really know this with my own eyes, right? Mm -hmm. But given the history and understanding of what Bill Gates does, I do not – I believe this is probably to be the case. Um, But a few things that I want to pull out and then just overall, I mean, this is what globalism is, and this Mm -hmm. is what these elitists – do. They are choosing what they feel is best Mm -hmm. for everyone. And that's not always the right thing for everyone. Often it's not because we are so different culturally Mm -hmm. and uh, relationally and um, spiritually. Like we have different Mm -hmm. belief systems and we have different ways of life and that's okay. But under a globalist system and being pressed into these – elitists, you know, I guess the roles that we need to play in order for the elitists to complete their agenda, you know, that's, we're not going to be able to live the way we want. And that's the very, very bad part of this. Mm -hmm. Um, Another thing I wanted to pull out is the tax subsidies. So he's getting grants subsidized by us as taxpayers. And so this is something 
I was listening to something and they were saying, you know, they, they were kind of going through how all of this is wrong, but then saying the government needs to grab hold of this and, you know, make an equal playing field. And it's like, no, the government is not the answer with more control over the situation because the government Mm -hmm. has gotten us into this mess in the first place. They are the cause of this mess by creating Mm -hmm. these loopholes. And they Mm -hmm. are doing so because it's a mutually beneficial relationship, right? Like this is not – how do you think – you know, Joe Schmo politician goes to Washington, D.C. and is somehow like, you know, a multimillionaire 10 years later when he mm. doesn't do anything so besides be a politician. You yeah. know, these are mutually beneficial relationships, right? Mm-hmm. And we need to realize that. Um, another word I, or phrase I want to pull out is vertically integrated. That was the beginning. Um, so for when applied to farms, at least this is a concept that we talked about, you know, probably 20 years ago when I was, you know, a young buck in like a young lass. Yes, a young lass. (laughs) Um, Thank you for correcting me. You're welcome. Um, But anyway, they, this is something we talked about. So vertically integrated would be like start to finish. Like he controls the entire process Mm, from start to finish, not just like growing the crop. He controls the seed, every aspect of it to production, to your table. Yeah. Yeah. If you're lucky enough to get that food to your table. Yeah. And we can speculate his rationale for buying up all this Mm -hmm. farm ground. Um, I know there's been a lot of things flying around on the internet about um, the mystery meat and (laughs) him wanting to create a way that people eat meat from a lab instead of – and that's Mm, their rationale for this. I'm like, I don't – maybe that's it. I don't know. But I really just think it's the value of the ground itself and the Mm. fact that it's a hard asset to hang on to. Yes. And And just the control aspect of the situation because you're not – like the amount of land he owns is not like I'm going to run some cattle on it or something or I'm going to take out, you know, this much ground from cattle production so that my mystery meat can be marketed. That's not (laughs) it. This is – this is a lot of ground. This is like it's a lot. Yeah. This is um this is grain production. Yeah. So, so let's talk about that hard assets for a minute. Because of the fact that he is able to go in and purchase this land, no one can compete with his money. You know what I mean? Because we're not getting the same interest rates as him. We can't outbid Bill Gates. So what that does is it drives the market up higher and higher and higher, making it Mm -hmm. almost impossible for a young family to start a small family farm or even to get in just residentially. This is the reason our markets are out of control because big money is coming in and no one can compete with that. Yeah. Cecily, you have no idea how true that is. You know, that. I mean, out where we live, it's so many absentee landowners that are just Mm. investors coming in. Right. Not even major ones like Bill Gates, but yeah, he's one of them. But you know, other, or like foreign buyers, know, perhaps. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that that's so true, absolutely. Yeah, and I just feel like there's a lot of speculation right now too about the possible collapse of the American dollar sometime within the near future. And it's Mm -hmm. like, well, what would you want? You would want your hands on hard assets. And what do we know about people like Bill Gates? They kind of know what's coming down the pike. So, you know, no wonder he's scooping up as much land as he can. Yeah. Yes. Um, Anything else you want to cover on (laughs) this topic? 
I don't like know. Like this I portion of the topic, I guess I'm saying. I don't think so. I don't think so. I got kind of carried okay. away there for a second and it made me no. lose track of where I was going. <laughs> no, this is, I don't know. I feel like this is so important. Just understanding the, I guess, the difference between not being in that elite class of people that is controlling everything and being able to be aware. Mm -hmm. Like when I use Mm -hmm. the innocent term, I'm using that as somebody who's just buying in innocently thinking this is good. And I think that we have an opportunity to, yes, we're going to remain in that innocent group and we may not understand it all, but we can be aware and we can discern and we can decide how much we want to buy into this or whether we want to personally promote it because Mm -hmm. they couldn't, do all this without well they probably could but it would Mm. not be so easy without our personal promotion because they do need these government officials to keep these loopholes there and Mm -hmm. uh keep up the tax program as it is and the you know does that make sense so i feel like there is a chance for us to become more aware and discerning when it comes to these issues like you know, as they promote climate change and then they fly around on their jets. Oh, wait, is that really mm-hmm. what they're promoting? Or are they just promoting their agenda in a pretty package? You know, so. Yeah. Now, did we talk about this in our last podcast about, I can't remember who I was talking with. It's probably you, but about Prince Harry and Meghan Markle. And they got yeah. this like award for being a two child home because it's. Oh, wait. Yeah. Did we I talk think we did that? talk about that, but I don't know if it was on the podcast or we were just chatting. I don't it's know really either. Hard so to remember, I know if you guys are listening and we've already talked about this, I do apologize. But they, I don't remember what the award was called because I think it's nonsense. But Harry and Meghan got this award for being a two-child family, and that's so great for the environment. Meanwhile, they live in a mansion that I'm sure is sucking up resources like you wouldn't believe. It's just like that doesn't matter, but but having two kids is applauded as some great climate miracle. Yeah. I think we might've talked about it here, but you know, know. it's worth revisiting again because it's just weird. (laughs) It really is weird. And it just shows such a lack of depth, unfortunately. Um, Okay. I want to read this really quick. Mm -hmm. Cecily had sent me uh, the Chan Zuckerberg.com, like their foundation website. And one of their goals, I was just reading it today and I messaged her. I was like, this is Mm. so weird. It's, (laughs) One of their goals is under the title science, and it says supporting the science and technology to make it possible to cure, prevent, or manage all diseases by the end of the century. And I was just like, do do they realize how arrogant and absolutely weird that sounds? Because if you're curing, preventing, and uh, managing – oh, managing all diseases, that's less weird. But curing and preventing – and managing like yeah. you're not gonna have anything to manage if you cure and prevent right anyway <laughs> yeah so stop throwing words in there to sound impressive yeah, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's exactly what they're doing but I'm like <laughs> this is so weird and I'm like so if you cure and prevent all disease processes that includes the aging process and so we live forever I'm like does this go back to the biodigital I was like I'm just gonna mm-hmm. have to research this more in the future and I didn't get into that today but mm-hmm. this is just what I mean these people are I, I don't want to be rude, but they're nuts. Like they're they have a nuts. god complex. Like, absolutely, yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I don't know. I just think it's a god complex. I'll actually yeah. let's. I'm going to read a little bit from Psalm two. 
Um, why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain, the kings of the earth? And obviously that doesn't have to necessarily just mean kings. It could also mean billionaires, politicians, the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers to take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointing anointed saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their courts from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now, therefore, O kings, be wise and be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. And I don't mean to say like, oh, these guys have a God complex and what are they even trying to do with scientific advancements? That's not what I mean. I think scientific advancements are extremely important. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But to imply that you can basically eradicate all disease and disease processes within the, the century. Suffering, yes. It's just, you're not God. <laughs> and mm-hmm. It's just, it's not going to happen. And I think they better humble themselves before they're humbled. I am really glad you read that because actually I had read Psalm 3 the other day mm. and then flipped the page back for some reason and read Psalm 2. And I was thinking the same thing, like that it applied so much. And I had forgotten by the time we started recording this. So I'm really glad you read that because it's it so applies to the situation. Yeah. And I don't want to have like, you know, the log in my own eye while I'm pointing out the speck in someone else's. Like we need to be humble as well. I need to be humble. Absolutely. There's often things that I think I'm in control of that I'm not. And like this is a psalm for all of us, but I do hope that some of our our leaders take it into account. Well, it's really just a situation of the world. Like we're all mm-hmm. in this situation together. And I think often with the advancements in technology, we all get that way, right? We all think that we can just fix everything on our own. And really, mm-hmm. can we? No. So. Yeah. yeah. All right. Is there anything else we want to cover today or not? (laughs) I don't know. I feel like that's probably enough to digest for one day. (laughs) Okay. All right. Well, thanks for listening, you guys. If you want to find us outside the podcast, you can find me, Cecily, on Instagram at cecily.dickey or on my website at thegracetogrow.com. And you can find me, Rita, at Rita Rogers Co. on Instagram or RitaRogersCo.com. Thank you for listening.